You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. You know, as I was praying and just seeking the Lord as far as the direction that He wanted us to go in, um, I, I felt led to go in the, the, the direction that we're going to head in. I'll tell you more about it in just a second. But uh, I believe it just dovetails with don't take the, or, or take the limits off of God. Don't limit God, you know, and just kind of piggybacks on that. And, and uh, you know, we can just keep right on going. Uh, but this is week number one. We're starting a new series called, talking about Daniel in the Bible. And uh, anybody ever heard of a man named Daniel in the Bible? Okay, if you spend any time in Sunday school, you probably remember Daniel. But there's something about Daniel that we're going to study, and we're going to look at some other people in the Bible that exhibited this same characteristic, and that is a spirit of excellence. So we're going to look at that. I want to ask you a question. Is there anybody in the room that likes promotion? Okay. Is there anybody in the room that wants to be promoted? Okay. Uh, anybody in the room that doesn't like promotion, we'll pray for you. Okay. <laughs> but let's look at a scripture to kind of kick this off. And, uh, it, again, everything will be on your notes there. If the, if there's something that's not on your notes, I'm going to make some quotes this morning. All those are on my notes on the website. So if you, you know, you miss anything, it's all there, but let's look at seven, uh, Psalm 75 verses six and seven, <clears throat> excuse me. And it says this, and I, I really like the King James translation of this. It says this, for promotion comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Meaning, what he's saying there, obviously it doesn't come from those directions in the sense of literal map directions. But what he's saying is, promotion doesn't come from where you normally think it would come from. But he says, uh, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. So what that means is promotion comes from the Lord. Okay, so write this down, please. Number one thing to get us started, and that is this. Promotion comes from God. Okay, say that. Say promotion, promotion. comes from God. Okay, so that's where it originates from. But I'm going to say something to you that might shock you a little bit. And, and that is this. Uh, I'm going to put it on the screen for you. God is not the one who determines whether you are promoted or not. Promotion does come from him. Ultimately, he has the final say so. But promotion, he is not the one that determines whether we get promoted or not. Guess who is? We are. God created each of us. For success, God created each of us with a tremendous amount of potential. God created us for more. Turn around and find somebody close by and say, God created you for more. Again, I said, you know, as I told you, this was going to piggyback right on top of uh, don't limit God. But, but it is true that God <clears throat> has, has made us for more. You know, what's interesting is there has not been one human being on the earth, with maybe the exception of the Lord Jesus, that has come close to exhausting the depth of God's power, 
his ability, his willingness to move on our behalf and to show himself strong on our behalf, like the Bible says. So listen, you are never going to max God out is what I'm trying to tell you. So his plan for us is greater than we could possibly imagine. What he desires to accomplish in our lives is greater than we could possibly see. Uh, and so what we've got to do is we've got to understand that there is always more. I hope your life is great. I hope your life is, is doing well, but I don't want us to ever grow complacent and say that that is all God has for me. I hope your life is great. And when it, if it's not, it will get great. It will do better. But even when you get to that point, don't get settled down to where you think that that's all God has for you. But again, I want to remind you of a verse from the Psalms that says this, David wrote and he said in Psalm 139 verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can, can I, you know, you've probably heard preachers say this before, but God don't make no junk. Okay. He doesn't make a mess. He doesn't make junk. And so you are not a mess. You are not junk. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. That my soul knows very well. In other words, David said, I am intimately familiar with the fact that I am a marvelous work of God in his eyes. And you need to get that down on the inside of you. Now, it doesn't matter how much money you make, where you live, who your parents are, the color of your skin, what your background is. It doesn't matter how we failed in the past or what talents or education we may think we are missing. We all have potential for greatness on the inside of us. If no other reason, but because the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit live on the inside of you and me. However, Potential is not enough. You know, it's one thing to have potential, uh, but that by itself is not enough. Let me show you a quote. Anybody ever heard of Dr. Miles Monroe? Great man of God. Went home to be with the Lord a few years back. But uh, he, he said this, and I, I wanted to give this to you. He said this, the wealthiest place on the planet is just down the road. It's the cemetery. There lie buried companies that were never started, inventions that were never made, best-selling books that were never written, masterpieces that were never painted. In the cemetery is buried the greatest treasure of untapped potential. And uh, he, used to, um, he used to have this saying that he would say, die empty. And that's my goal in life. I want to exhaust everything that God has for me. I want to exhaust all the potential that God has invested in me. And you ought to have that same desire and that same aspiration in life so that you dream about how when you reach the end of your life, you have fulfilled everything that God wanted you to fulfill. Now, whether we can truly accomplish that or not, that's, that's up to the Lord in the sense of, but I want us to aim for that anyway. Amen? All right. So having all of this potential invested in, and placed down on the inside of us is not enough to guarantee promotion in our lives. There's something else. There is, you know, what, what's said oftentimes in, in uh, I read a lot of business books and in looking at 
leadership and businesses. I like to see how people that were successful, how they thought and operated and things like that. And, and there's a saying that uh, is often said, and that is, what is the secret sauce to that company being successful or that individual being successful? And I'm going to give you in this series the secret sauce that is going to pave the way for you to be promoted. Again, anybody in the room wants some promotion? All right. All right. So let's, let's get into this. You know, I heard it said um, a long time ago. Anybody ever heard the phrase experience is the best teacher? Okay. Did you know that's not a true statement? Somebody else's experience is the best teacher. I'd rather learn from somebody else's mistakes than have to make the same mistakes and learn from them. So what we're going to do, and not necessarily mistakes focused on that, but we're going to focus on successes and mistakes. But I'm glad that we have in our hands the Old Testament and the New Testament so that we can look at the lives of, of some of these old saints and we can learn some things from them. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 in the New English translation, it says this, these things talking about what they experience happened to them as examples and were written for our instruction. All of the things that we have in the Old Testament about all the Old Testament saints that have gone before us um, and, and things that they experienced, that was all provided for us for our instruction. And, um, you know, on, so for us who are going to wind this thing down and see the end of the age come, where we can look back on what they experienced and learn from them. So that's why we're going to study the life of the man named Daniel. Now, let me give you a little bit of history. Daniel came to the forefront uh, long about the time that there was something called the Babylonian captivity that happened to the children of Israel. God dealt with them and dealt with them and dealt with them and they refused to repent for idolatry and their, their, their culture became more and more wicked and so God had to permit uh, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to come in and take them cap captivity. He came in and he destroyed uh, the city of Jerusalem. He destroyed uh, Solomon's temple. He, he wreaked havoc in the entire city. And what he did is he took the majority of the population back to Babylon with him. And by the way, Babylon uh, today is where modern Iraq is. And so it was a very ungodly society. Uh, they were very idolatrous and uh, the Hebrew people were viewed by the Babylonians as very insignificant and less than. And so what they did is uh, they took the best of the best of the Hebrew people and they began to train them in the culture of the Babylonian people so that the king could use them to his advantage. Now there are, are three uh, or four people, Daniel, and then his three friends, you might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, those three names are their Babylonian names. By the way, Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. And so, but that we'll get into more about that in just a moment. But there was something that happened with Daniel that there was something that was active in his life that caused King Nebuchadnezzar and then after Nebuchadnezzar died, his son, Belshazzar, 
had favor upon Daniel. And then later on, after the Persians invaded Babylon and conquered it, the Persians being modern day Iran, uh, they conquered the Babylonians and Darius, who was the king in Persia, found favor with Daniel as well. So there actually there were four kings that Daniel served under during his time in captivity. But there was something I want us to see, and this is the secret sauce right here. So I'm going to give this to you right up front so you can have it. So let's look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3, and it says this, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governor's and satraps, satraps was an, is an old English name uh, for, you know, leadership underneath governors. It'd be, I guess, like a lieutenant governor or something in our modern day. It says this, that he found himself above them because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm, which ended up happening. Now, there's many things that Daniel went through in order to get to this point, and we'll talk more about that. But here you have this man, Daniel, in captivity. He is a Hebrew man. He's considered the bottom class of society, but yet there was something that was operating in his life that caused the leadership, the king particularly, to have favor on him and ultimately cause his promotion. And that is found in this particular verse. And it says this, that there was a spirit of excellence about him that caused the king to pour favor out on him. Now, there's a couple of things that this, this one verse and this story tells me right off the bat. Write this down, please. And that is this. The circumstances around you do not have to be ideal for God to promote you. See, we have this misbelief that everything has to be going in our way in order for God to be able to promote us. And that is not true. You know, I'll remind you of another guy in the Old Testament named Joseph, who the circumstances around him were definitely working against him. If you know anything about him, he was sold into slavery. He got uh, bought by Potiphar, who was over the, the guard of the, the Pharaoh. And so, uh, you know, and then he got falsely accused of rape and all of this type of thing, was cast into prison, lived in prison for 13 years. And while all of this was going on, God constantly promoted him. Now, it doesn't use this same phrase where Joseph is concerned, but it's basically the same thing. And then Joseph, if you know the story, ended up being second in command over the entire Egyptian empire, second only to Pharaoh himself, because he had a spirit of excellence about him. But here's the thing. Get it out of your mind that everything in your life has to be perfect before God can promote you. All of your circumstances have to be just right before God can promote you. Listen, your circumstances do not determine whether promotion comes or not. Whether you operate and have a spirit of excellence in your life is what determines whether promotion comes. Okay? Are you tracking with me? See, an excellent spirit will cause you to be promoted in business, be promoted in ministry, be promoted in your family. 
All of those things will be impacted by this spirit of excellence. Now, God delights in excellence. God is an excellent God. You might have read in the scripture where it says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. God is an excellent God. Okay? And so what, what we need to understand, though, is excellence doesn't start out here. Excellence starts right here. Okay, write this down, please. A spirit of excellence is a heart attitude. It's a heart attitude. Now, I'm just introducing some things, and we're going to get into this in latter uh, parts of this series, but... Um, I want you to understand that it starts here. It starts in your heart, okay? And we'll talk about how we develop that and how we grow that in our hearts. Now, I will say this though, okay? And, and uh, just scoot your feet underneath your chair because if this steps on your toes, I, I don't apologize, okay? But just God will heal your toes. All right, here we go. If you aren't being promoted, if it seems like everyone else around you is prospering and being promoted while you struggle, or if you feel like you've been passed over for a promotion, it could be that maybe you don't have the right heart attitude. So we might need to make some heart adjustments. So again, we'll talk about that more. I can tell you're thrilled about that. So we'll get into that more as we progress. Okay. Now, I will tell you this, write this down, please. If you are going to see promotion, again, who wanted promotion in here? Okay. If you're going to see promotion, you must maintain a good attitude regardless of what other people do to you and regardless of the circumstances. Now I'm talking about where promotion is concerned. Now, I'm not insinuating or implying at all that you need to tolerate abuse or anything like that. But how many of you have worked a job and been done wrong on your job before? Okay. As long as you're working with people, you know, that, that could happen. All right. So I just want to make you aware of that. So I want you to know that your heart attitude determines everything in this. And so again, we'll, we'll develop this as we, as we go along. Now, Lest anybody gets confused about this, I want to make sure you understand I am not talking about perfectionism. Okay? Excellence and perfection are two entirely different things. Now, I found a couple of great definitions online that I really like. Um, and so we'll, again, I'll develop this more later, but I'm going to give these definitions to you so that you can clearly understand that I am not talking and telling us that we have to have a spirit of perfection. Okay. All right. So look, excellence is this. It is consistent in good character, attitude, quality, and standards. Consistent in good character, attitude, quality, and standards. In other words, there is something about you called excellence that sets you apart from everybody else. It, it, there is something about you when you have a spirit of excellence in your life that will cause you to rise to the top. Like, you know, maybe young people aren't as familiar with this because you don't see it 
as often as we used to. But ever, anybody ever heard the phrase that the cream always rises to the top? Okay. Well, if you've ever dealt with uh, milk that was freshly, you know, uh, what do you call it when you milk a cow? Uh, yeah, I guess you just, when you milk a cow, all right, and you have fresh milk that way, cream, the, the richest part of that milk will always rise to the top of the bucket that you milk the cow in. And that's what they remove, and that's what we buy, you know, as, as far as cream that we put in coffee, not creamer like the fake stuff. I'm talking about the real stuff, okay? Put it, let me say it to you this way. If it's French vanilla, a cow didn't make that, okay? <laughs> All right? Okay, so just so you're clear, excellence is consistent in good character, attitude, quality, and standards. All right? Now, let's talk about what perfectionism is for just a moment, and that is this. It's the tendency to demand of others or of oneself an extremely high or even flawless level of performance. It, I, I read one definition that said it's unrealistic. Okay? It, it is more than what is required by the situation. And I'm going to tell you this because um, if you, I'm going to say this, and if you've ever worked for somebody who is a perfectionist, you'll understand when I read this latter part. It is associated with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health problems. You see it a lot today with social media in the sense of, you know, if you um, are familiar with Instagram or even TikTok and some of the other social media platforms, uh, there are a lot of people that perpetuate this false standard of what an ideal physical body looks like. They're called influencers, okay? And what they do is they perpetuate this idea of what a perfect physical body looks like and what it is, it, and I gotta, I gotta help you with this, most of that is fake. Ain't nobody looks like that real in real life. All right. And so what they do, though, is they perpetuate a false impression and, a, and an extremely high or flawless level of appearance. And what it does is it, is it perpetuates in people that look at that and say, oh, my gosh, look at my body compared to theirs. And so what we do is we build this false level uh, of perfection in our hearts and in our minds, and it will tend to lead you to be depressed, be anxious. It's what causes people to fall into eating disorders and all of those types of things. And so it is not real. It is not attainable and it's not realistic. Okay. And, uh, you know, and then as far as performance is concerned, you'll see where there are people who are perfectionists where performances uh, and what I mean by performance, I don't mean like on stage, I mean in performing and carrying out duties and jobs and things like that. You know, if you've ever worked for a perfectionist, okay, I'm going to say this to you and I think you'll understand, they be crazy, okay, because you, anything you do will never be right and it will never be good enough, all right, so... That is not what we're talking about here. That is not what set Daniel apart. Now, next week, I'm going to give you some things so that you can understand 
whether you are trying to function in a level of perfectionism, even in your relationship with God. Because what we have a tendency to do is we'll place unrealistic expectations on ourselves, even where our relationship with God is concerned. Because here's what we do, okay? We might not do it on social media, but we'll see somebody that we deem that's super spiritual and we assume, we make some assumptions. Well, gosh, they must pray for five hours a day. They must read, you know, 62 chapters of the Bible every day. And so if I'm not doing that, then I'm subpar. And I, I promise you that is not realistic either. Okay. And most of the time it's assumed. It's not something that is real. Okay. Are, are you listening to me? Okay, so I'm trying to help you to understand the difference between excellence and perfection. Again, we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But that perfectionism is not what set Daniel apart. It's not what set Joseph apart. It's not what set Moses apart. It's not what set Jesus apart. And it's not going to be what set you apart. All right, so I want to make sure we're real clear about this. Now, for years, for three years... Daniel and his friends, his three Hebrew friends that were with him, were groomed to serve King Nebuchadnezzar as Chaldean or Babylonian wise men. Now, a lot of times they were forced to be eunuchs. Does anybody know what a eunuch is? That is somebody that dedicates themselves to never being married and never having physical relations uh, with a woman. So that's where... Um, you know, you make that kind of commitment and make that kind of dedication, all right? Um, so a lot of times these guys were trained to function in that way. Since Babylon was conquering nations left and right and growing very quickly, there weren't enough educated men to participate in running the country and running the government. So the king began taking young, handsome men from countries he invaded and he taught them the history and laws of Babylon so that they might stand before the king and be able to offer him good advice. So that's why you see in the book of Daniel how Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had such a great audience with the king. They had been prepared for that. They had been trained for that by the three years that they had been in captivity so far. By the way, Daniel was in captivity under Nebuchadnezzar and the subsequent kings for 40 years. So, that, you know, his, his opportunity to flourish in captivity was not a two-week deal. All right? So Daniel and his friends were chosen because of their youth, their appearance, and their aptitude. Now, if you'll recall, when Nebuchadnezzar took them all captive, he did leave some people back in Israel to take care of the country. He left the poor. He left those that were physically handicapped. He left those that might be a little less than and so forth. And he let them stay in the country so they could kind of grow things and do what needed to happen, all right? Now, here's what I want you to see, and this is where we're going for this message today. Look at this. To serve the king, these four men, among with others, but these four men were expected to, to discard, throw away their former identity and adopt the pagan identity of Babylon, 
So much so that the king changed their names. All right, now let me show you. It was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those were the four men. Daniel, you know, uh, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, they became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which you know in their Hebrew names. All right, so let me show you. According to Strong's Concordance, um, here's what their names mean. Daniel in the Hebrew means judge of God, meaning I'm, I work for God. I judge for God. Hananiah means Jah or Yah, as we know God's name, the abbreviated version, has favored. Mishael's name is who is or what God is. I'm a representative for God. And then Azariah's name declared Yah has helped. All right, so that's what their Hebrew names meant. And so their names were changed, and we see this in Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And so the king gave order, and by the way, there were Babylonian men who were responsible to oversee these Hebrew guys. And so this guy who was assigned to them, the first thing he did was, now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now this is very, very important. This might not seem like a big deal to you, but this is very, very important because the first thing that you're going to see that is tied to a spirit of excellence is found here. And I want you to write this down. A spirit of excellence is based in and found in your identity. A spirit of excellence is based in or found in your identity. Now, if you'll think carefully with me a little bit, is somebody that has a very low self-esteem, think about it with me. In other words, they have a skewed perception of their own identity. They do not operate in a spirit of excellence. Okay? So a key to operating in a spirit of excellence is your identity. Now, what is interesting about what happened to these four men that we know about, there might have been others, but these four men that were written about in the book of Daniel is even though Babylon tried to force on them an identity that wasn't theirs, they always retained their original Hebrew identity. Okay? Their, the, the identity that God gave them. All right, now, I, you know, again, I'm a big word guy in the sense I love definitions, so I looked up the word identity, and here's what it means, and this really, really surprised me. I did not know this until I, I looked at this. You might uh, uh, identify, because what happens when uh, you go to the airport and you're going to board a flight? What is it that you have to show them to prove who you are? Your identity identification, okay? Either a driver's license, a passport, something that has your picture that shows them your identity. So what we have done is we have assumed that identity means your uniqueness. In other words, what sets you apart? That's what I thought. 
until I read the definition. Look at the definition. An identity is this distinguished, distinguishing character or personality of an individual, but it also means sameness of essential or generic character in different instances. Okay? What does that mean? Yes, I am my own person in the sense of I am unique in, in that there's nobody else like me in the earth. Somebody said, thank God. Okay. <laughs> but here's what, what our identity is not based in our uniqueness. Our, our identity is based in our sameness with someone else. Okay. All right. Let me, let me explain this a little further. All right. So we often think that our identity is what makes us unique, but the, the, the definition of identity states that it is the thing that makes us the same as someone else. Okay? So let me, you know, my mother is here, uh, Lou Sutton, sitting in the back, back there. Okay? Now, as unique as I try to be, my identity rests, and it always will, in the fact that I am her son. Okay? I'll never be able to change that. Never. There were times when I was a teenager I wanted to, but I couldn't, and I didn't, all right? Now, and so, but I, what I want you to see is, is that's what this definition is referring to, okay? So in, even though Daniel... Hananiah, Azariah, and, and, and what was the third one? Mishael, yeah. I forgot that quick. Okay. So even though they were four unique individuals, there was something else that caused their identity. And it was who they were related to. Okay. All right. Now, how many of you know that early on, okay, um, we were created in the image of God in the garden, Adam and Eve, talking about humanity overall. We were created in the image the same as God. Now, we weren't God, but we were created in his image. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion and so forth and so on. So Adam's identity was not found in the fact that he was a unique individual. His identity was found in the fact that he was the same as God. Are you tracking with me? Okay. All right. Now, what happened though is Adam messed up and Eve messed up. So through Adam and Eve's disobedience, we lost, humanity lost that identity. We were no longer related to or the same as God. What that means is because we died spiritually, we were now separated from God and we're no longer like him. Okay? In the beginning, we were like him. Human beings were spirit beings with a flesh body who were able to fellowship and walk with a holy God and commune with him. 
because we were the same as him. But when Adam and Eve sinned, we lost that. Death came in and man died. And so then we were separated from God. We lost our God-like identity. Now, I don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not implying that we were God, but we were in the image of God. We were duplicates, if you will. Okay, but we lost that when Adam and Eve sinned. But thank God there was another Adam that came into the earth. And that Adam was perfect. That Adam was united with God. He was and is full of the life of God. He walked as a representative of God. He operated in the authority of God in the earth. And he did something for us that we just celebrated. He died on a cross and paid the price so that you and I and humanity could be restored back to that original state and be reunited with God and retain or recover our identity. Are you listening to me? So write this down, please. We are more than what we can see or feel. We are the children of God, and through what Jesus did for us, we now have a new identity. Okay? It's kind of like what the four Hebrew boys went through. It's just reversed. In other words, we're coming out of Babylonian captivity and given new names in Christ. Okay? Now, here's why this is so important. This new identity can sit dormant within you if you don't find out and acknowledge who you are through what Christ did for you. Now, here's what you need to understand. You will never be able to function in a godly spirit of excellence until you find out who you are. That's why perfectionism has crept into the church and religion demands that we be perfect so that we can have the favor of God on our lives. Listen, you need to live right. You need to do right. You need to obey what the word says. But perfection is never going to be a standard that you and I have to attain to on our own. Jesus is the one that's at work in you to cause you to be perfect. Okay, and I want you to get this. So, outside of or inside religion, you'll never be able to function in a spirit of excellence. Because it's all about what I do, whether I pray, whether I read my Bible, whether I do this, whether I do that. And, and none of, all of those things are important. Don't misunderstand me. But they do not have anything to do with your identity. Like Joyce Meyer says, your do has nothing to do with your who. Do you get that? Okay. The reason we read our Bible is because of who I am. The reason I spend time in prayer is because I am God's son. I don't pray so that God will like me. He already likes me. I don't pray to get God to love me. I don't read my Bible to get God to love me more. 
I can't make him love me more. The good news is I can't make him love me less. I hope I'm helping somebody in here. All right, now, so what you need to understand is what set Daniel and those three guys apart was the fact that they retained their identity and they functioned out of that place. <clears throat> See, the successes that Daniel experienced in the lion's den did not happen because he was perfect. It happened because he loved God and God loved him and he knew who he was in God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not survive the fiery furnace because they were perfect. They survived the fiery furnace because there was a fourth man that showed up because of who they were in relationship with, who their identity was based in. <clears throat> All right, now, as I begin to wind this down, here's what I want you to understand. So the first thing to operating in a spirit of excellence is going to be discovering your true identity in Christ. Can I say this to you? Let me just kind of make it real for you. We'll talk more about this a little later on. But the reason I want to be faithful on my job and loyal is not because I'm trying to impress somebody, but because I am God's child. I am God's son. And I'm representing him on that job. The reason I don't steal staplers and paper clips and stuff like that from my job is not because... Well, you know, the company won't miss it or whatever, whatever we tell ourselves. No, I don't want to do those things because, number one, it's not right. And as a son of God, I do what is right, not what's wrong. We'll talk more about that kind of stuff later on. I can tell that's just thrilling. All right, now, here's something you need to understand first, okay? Write this down, please. The first place that the devil is going to try and attack you and challenge you is going to be in your identity. Your identity is the first place that the devil is going to try and challenge you. Now, we see this in the natural happening even with people that aren't born again, that aren't even related to God. In the sense of, what do we see happening with people um, you know, the whole gender question that's being raised in culture right now. It's a question mark of who am I? Well, you know, I was born a male, but I feel like a female. And, and so the, my identity is all messed up. And so what the devil does is he gets people confused and they don't understand what their identity is, even in a natural standpoint. Okay, I, I got news for us. There's only two genders. You were born one way. Now you can go to the doctor and get fixed up however you want to get fixed up, but you're still a man or a woman. All right. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So in culture, even the devil is desiring to destroy people's identity. 
Here's what it boils down to. If I can destroy people's identity, particularly children, if I can destroy their identity, then I affect the home. And if I can affect the home, I can destroy families. And then if I destroy families, I destroy churches, I destroy people, I destroy nations. It, it's all, there's, it, it's a big picture type thing, y'all. Okay? But where a believer is concerned, you need to understand the first place that the devil is going to challenge you is going to be in your identity. Now, I can tell you this. He is hoping you never discover who you are in Christ. Because as long as you don't, he can control you. As long as you don't know who you are in Christ, you'll never be a threat to him. You'll just live your life, try and be a good Christian, do what you need to do, and die and go to heaven. He don't care if you die and go to heaven. That's good news to him. That means you're out of the way. But the believer that begins to find out who they are in Christ, they find out their identity in God becomes a spiritual threat. All right, let me prove it to you. Let's look at Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, because Jesus encountered what I'm telling you. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22 John the Baptist is baptizing people and here comes Jesus to be baptized by John the Baptist. And it says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. A couple of things that are happening here at this moment. It's really a unique moment, very special moment in history. For the first time in human history, you have all the members of the Godhead manifested at one time in one place at this moment. You have Jesus, the son of God, the word made flesh, just been water baptized. You have the Holy Spirit descending on him in the shape. He wasn't a dove, but it looked like a dove descending upon him. And then you have the heavenly father speaking in a voice that could be heard in the natural. And he told Jesus, you are my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. Not, not that Jesus doubted that, but it was kind of like God's stamp of approval because this was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, you need to understand, everybody standing around there heard what the Father said, okay? Now, so right after this incident, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted, he prayed, he spent time with God in the wilderness, and then the devil brought temptation to him. Now, the devil shows up and challenges Jesus. First thing, this is the first thing. He hasn't done a miracle yet. He hasn't healed anybody yet. He hasn't begun to move in anything yet, and yet the devil shows up. Let's see what the devil challenged him in 
first. Look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 3. The devil said to him, this is the very first temptation, if you are the son of God, command this stone to be made bread. Now, somebody might say, well, you know, the devil was just trying to figure out, was this really the one? Because he didn't want to crucify the wrong one. No. The devil is trying to get Jesus to begin to doubt who he is. In other words, here's what the devil's going to do to you. He's going to show up. I guarantee you, I can promise you this. You begin to dive into who you are in Christ, the first thing that's going to show up is the thoughts cross your mind where it's going to sound something like this. Are you really who you say you are in Christ? So if Jesus experienced a challenge to his identity, you will too. Now here's, here's what you need to understand is that when you challenge someone's identity, you pull the rug out from underneath their ability to operate in a spirit of excellence and God be able to promote them. Because what would have happened if in this moment the devil shows up and he says, I know you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, here's what I, I tell you what. I heard what, God said to you, but if you really are what God said you are, then turn these stones to bread because I know you're hungry. He wasn't hungry. He was hungry. I mean, you fast 40 days and nights, you almost hangry. Okay. And so what he does is he says, Hey, if, if this is really who you are, turn these stones to bread. And I love the fact that Jesus response. He said, the, is it not written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, listen, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, I'm not living by this physical bread. I'm living by what I heard the heavenly father say just a few days ago, that I am his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. Somebody said, well, I sure wish God would show up and say that to me. He has. He has said the very same thing to you, and he did it a whole lot more than just one sentence. It's in the book. Now, the first Adam sinned. Well, let me back up. Satan used that same trick where Adam and Eve are concerned. Because here you have Adam and Eve created in the image of God, what does the devil show up? He shows up in the form of a serpent. And, and what does he say? He said, did God really say, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve kind of got it all jacked up. She said, yeah, he said, we can't eat of it, nor can we touch it. God didn't say you can't touch it. He said, just don't eat of it. All right. But here's what the devil came back with. He said this. He said, God knows that if you really if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll become just like him. Implying you're not like him, but you eat this fruit and it'll make you like him. See what Adam and Eve forgot was they were like him. They already were. They didn't need to eat an apple to, or whatever the fruit was to become like God. They were already 
like God. And so what Adam, I mean, what the devil did to Adam and Eve is he attacked them on their identity. He attacked Jesus on his identity. I can promise you he's going to attack you and challenge you where your identity is concerned because if he can get you to doubt that, the spirit of excellence will not operate in your life. So the first Adam sinned because he didn't know his identity. Anybody in here want to overcome sin? I do. The first Adam sinned because he didn't know his identity. The last Adam, his name's Jesus, he didn't sin because he knew his identity. I can tell you this without fear of contradiction. What you don't know will kill you. Okay? Here's the last thing I want you to write down. If you want to begin rising to the top, discover your identity in Christ and begin living out of that place and an excellent spirit will rise up out of you too. See, there will be something that will happen to you when you begin to find out who you are in Christ. Let me, let me just share this real quick little testimony. In between, I gave my heart to Christ uh, during my ninth grade year of school, just a couple of years ago. And um, in December of 1977, wrapped up my ninth grade year, and then I went to high school in 1978, I was a, a sophomore in high school. This is when high school was just three years back then. And uh, so in between my ninth grade, which my ninth grade year was a mess, I began to discover during that summer who I was in Christ. Somebody made the mistake of giving me a book by E.W. Kenyon called The Bible and the Light of My Redemption. It, I'm just kidding. It wasn't a mistake. It's an awesome book. And I began to discover who I was in Christ. And I began to identify with that. And so when I went to, from the ninth grade into the 10th grade, I, uh, you know, I forget what my grades were in ninth grade. They weren't re worth remembering. Let me just say that to you. But when I began to discover who I was in Christ, just exactly what I'm telling you began to happen in my own life where the identity of who I am in Jesus began to do something on the inside of me and caused a spirit of excellence to rise up out of me. And my grades totally flip-flopped. And I began to make straight A's for the first time since probably elementary school. So much so that uh, like in history class, uh, you know, I just, I, I just blossomed. And, and the only thing I could attribute it to was the work that was going on in me because of what Jesus was doing in me. And I, I went to making straight A's to the point where um, I was making above a 4.0 average, which is hard to do in high school, okay? Now, here's what I want you to see. I don't take credit for that in the sense of it was all me. No, it's when I found out who I am in Jesus, something happened on the inside of me and I started wanting to apply myself to do the work and to do what's necessary. And here's what's neat. 
is that when I would study, I could start retaining things. Whereas that didn't happen when I was in the eighth and ninth grade. Okay? What am I saying to you? If you will begin to start with your identity in Christ, it will do something in you and cause the spirit of excellence. You ever, you ever been at a swimming pool and see somebody take, try and take a ball that's filled with air and dive down to the deepest part of the pool? What happens when you let go of it? It pops straight up to the top. Well, I can promise you this. I don't care who tries to press you down, what tries to press you down, how deep it might seem like you are, when that spirit of excellence starts operating in your life, you're going to be just like that ball and you're going to pop up to the top before you even realize what's going on and people are going to begin to recognize there's something about you that's different. There's something about you. And you can, that's when you can stand up and you can say, no, it's not necessarily me. It's him who's at work in me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you receive this today? Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.